cowards, then it's gonna be quick. I oh, you made it in the jail before. Suck my dick and all the motherfuckers. Welcome to BFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by Four for Four Football. I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by my dude, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? Chris, what's up, man? Uh, welcome to the final NFL DFS week of the season. Excited to uh, finally finish up, man. Yes, sir. Excited to uh, see you and the guys at 4 for 4, Josh, John, and Luis, next week in Cali and see everybody for FSTA. Mm-hmm. So should be should be some good times now that the season is winding down. But, of course, we have two more games to get to on this championship week. We have the New England Patriots hosting the Jaguars, and we have the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Minnesota Vikings. So we will break down both of those games in depth, try to touch on all the DFS plays in that game, talk a little bit about two-game slates, roster construction, and whatnot. And before we do that, just want to let you guys know that the – Name of the song that played us in was BMX Party Up, and that was off the album, and then there was X, and that's just one of my favorite Get Hype songs of all time. I think it's the second DMX song we've had on the podcast, so check it up, DM, check it out, excuse me, DMX Party Up off the album, and then there was X. Let's get right into this Patriots matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think what the most interesting thing about this matchup right off the bat is that you have a defense, one of the best defenses in the league, second in points allowed, but a lot better against the pass than the run. So we would expect New England to kind of attack that weakness because Throughout the season, we've actually seen New England attack opponents by their specific weaknesses, had another team in the Buffalo Bills who also a lot better against the run than the pass. And New England actually ran more than they passed in both games against the Buffalo Bills, even though on the season, New England passes at a 59% rate. And then last week, we talked about this on the podcast, the Tennessee Titans are actually better against the run than the pass. And In particular, the Titans are weak against running backs out of the backfield in the passing game. And we saw New England last week with 53 passes, 27 runs, and also 17 targets to their two running backs, uh, Deion Lewis and James White. So New England is kind of precisely attacking their opponent's weaknesses. So what do you expect out of the Patriots uh, against the Jaguars this Sunday, TJ? Yeah, this this is uh, the only really glaring matchup that we have in, in terms of uh, fantasy matchups is the Patriots running backs versus the Jaguars. Jaguars against running backs, they're actually the only, uh, that's the only spot on the entire slate where a defense ranks in the bottom 10 in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to a position. They rank 24th. Uh, I do think that the Patriots are going to attack with their running backs, but uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be uh, handing the ball off to attack that weakness. Uh, if if anybody had a chance to uh, check out an article that Warren Sharp wrote this week, it, it was really interesting. He talked about how successful teams were uh, against the Jaguars in different personnel types. So basically when uh, teams ran three wide receiver sets, uh, they really struggled to pass. When 
teams ran 12 or 21 personnel, which is uh, either two tight ends or two running backs, they were very successful. And if we uh, look at how the Patriots are built and what they like to do and look back just one week, they have the personnel to run a lot of two running back sets, especially if uh, Rex Burkhead plays this week, which I I think is going to happen. And uh, that's obviously going to uh, throw a big wrench in in, um, James White's uh, prospects. And I think probably the way that's going to play out, if we look at how those uh, running backs rotated when when all three were active in, in weeks 10 through 15, I think Still, we're going to see Deion Lewis kind of carrying that load, being the main guy with uh, White and and Burkhead kind of rotating as that RB2, but uh, Burkhead kind of led the way and touches inside the 10 and then targets. So I, I really think that the Patriots are going to throw a lot, but I think it's going to be a lot to Gronk and a lot to their running backs. Uh, we talked about this a little bit coming into the pod. One of my favorite plays, especially on DraftKings where you have a, a flex position, is to roster two New England running backs. Uh, I think that's going to give you a somewhat unique roster construction on a really short slate. And I think that's that could be a, a kind of easy way to possibly get all of the Patriots uh, touchdowns. They're the only team projected for over 21 points this week. They're actually projected for over 27. So there's a pretty big gap between the Patriots offense and everybody else. And we saw uh, Pittsburgh hang 42 on the Jaguars last week. There were a couple uh, deep uh, passes, actually three deep passes. Uh, so there, there was, there's a lot of high variance there, but, uh, I, I wouldn't be scared of Tom Brady because of those matchups that Warren Sharp pointed out. Absolutely. That really was a great arc article by Warren. I actually link to it in the intro to my DraftKings slate breakdown this week. So if any of you guys want to check that out, you can find that on 444.com or check my Twitter feed. But I think this is really kind of the key to the slate because most of the highest priced players on the slate are New England Patriots. So kind of figuring out exactly how they're going to run their offense this week is probably going to be a key to the slate. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Deion Lewis is probably going to be that lead back no matter what. That was kind of the feeling just if you watch him down the stretch and watch how the Patriots used him. I think we talked about this last week as well, but Deion Lewis in many ways has kind of become the focal point of New England's offense. He's that one constant week to week where even if you're scheming different matchups in the passing game or defenses are taking away certain matchups in the passing game, you always have Deion Lewis to fall back on both on the ground and through the air. And I think you're going to see a very running back centric game plan from the Patriots this week. I do think they'll probably run a little more than maybe they normally would, even though, as you mentioned, I think they'll throw it a lot and I think they will throw it a lot to their running backs. I'm going to just a gut feel, uh, you know, obviously um, White, Lewis and Burkhead, when they were all active in weeks 10 to 15, all their snap rates were in the thirties. And I think that, as you mentioned, the Patriots could put, them on the field at the same time and they're even if they play only you know 30 40 percent of the snaps they're still I think because the Patriots we expect them to feature running backs a lot more I think their touch expectation goes up even if their snap expectation doesn't look high but just a gut feel I I feel like White is going to still play ahead of Burkhead this week even even though uh, Burkhead was kind of playing second fiddle 
when all three were active. I just think, you know, White having that that experience with the team, that Super Bowl run and playing really well, got a lot of red zone work last week. Um, and just playing well, just the way Lewis is playing well, I think that Burkhead is going to kind of be eased in. I do think that the biggest danger uh, or, I guess, opportunity, depending on who you're rostering here, but is Burkhead kind of vulturing some of the goal line work? Because we did see mm-hmm. New England put Brandon Bolden, their third string back, in for some goal line opportunities last week, even though Lewis got over 20 touches probably tried to keep him from taking some of those hits inside the goal line. I don't think there's necessarily any rhyme or reason at this point to who uh, the Patriots are interchanging in scoring position. I think they're comfortable with all three backs, but um, just a gut feel. I think White will still play ahead of Burkhead, but uh, because you're getting, you're still getting the the good price point with Burkhead as well. I don't think that's uh, that should deter anyone from playing him. I still think Lewis is probably the top overall play on the slate, even with Burkhead back, just because of how much I think the Patriots are going to use their running backs and how well he's been playing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think White will, I, I would say White will probably get a few more snaps, but it's, it's really tough to predict. And honestly, we, we really have no idea what Bill Belichick has in store other than probably to expect some more heavy formations and, and some more running back involvement here. Now at the wide receiver position, it's really tough against going against the Jaguars. You have Jalen Ramsey and AJ Bouye at the cornerback position. The Jaguars finished the season number three in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. So being that we expect New England to kind of go a little more heavy, a little more running back focus. What do you think of these wide receivers for the Patriots? Yeah, because I I think that they are going to uh, target their their running backs heavily, and uh, we'll get to Gronk. I, I think he's a little bit matchup proof, even even though Jacksonville is uh, tough against the position as well. But because uh, Gronk and the running backs are going to be a huge part of the passing game, I think uh, that's going to limit Dan, Danny Amendola's workload a, a little bit. Last week, uh, that was a really good spot to target a slot wide receiver against uh, uh, the Titans. And that's why we saw Amendola uh, targeted 13 times. I think we, we both were uh, pretty bullish on, on Amendola last week uh, going into this week. I'm, I'm actually a little bit upset that the Steelers completed those three deep touchdowns against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, because I think that was the sneaky play. You're not going to get high volume uh, from any of these receivers against uh, the Jacksonville secondary and, and people really like to focus on on uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey and AJ Bouye, but they're good in the slot as well. But the one spot they have been a little little bit vulnerable uh, is against those deep passes. And like I said, we saw that last week. Thirty point six percent of receiving yards against Jacksonville this year has come on deep balls. Uh, those are defined as passes that traveled at least fifteen yards in the air. That's the fourteenth highest mark in the league, and that's the most among any defenses playing this weekend. So even though I don't think Brandon Cooks is going to have a, a high volume game in terms of catches, I think there's definitely some potential there for him uh, to get behind the secondary. And if I'm going to 
throw a flyer at one of the the uh, wide receivers of the Patriots, it is going to be Cooks for that reason. I, I don't think Chris Hogan uh, has the same skill set as Cooks. I think he's going to have a, a little more trouble against those outside defenders. But, uh, I mean, you just need one big play on this two-game slate. And I, I really like uh, – I mean, I like stacking the Patriots, period, and I think uh, people are going to be a little scared of Cooks because of that matchup, but he has some deep ball potential here. Yeah, Cooks, that's where I'm at, too. I think especially with their salaries kind of uh, coming together a little bit, I think I would just bet on the talent, the speed of a guy like Brandon Cooks, but as as mentioned, do expect him and probably Chris Hogan to run a lot of deep clear-out routes down the field to probably open some things up underneath where they can attack the running backs where they can attack with Gronk um, might also see if we see some heavy personnel I think we'll see more of Dwayne Allen the number two tight end maybe even Jacob Hollister the number three tight end obviously James Devlin the fullback will be on the field all those guys you know on a two-game slate you never know they could score a short touchdown or something like that and it'd be that minimum price guy that you need but you said you had some thoughts on Rob Gronkowski yeah, I mean, this This is a spot where people are, I think, on the surface, you look at the matchup and Jacksonville's number one fantasy uh, schedule just fantasy points allowed to tight ends, but uh, no team ranks lower than uh, seventh in AFPA against tight ends. So basically, everyone has a tough matchup this week, and in that spot, uh, take the, the best player, maybe the best player on the slate. Uh, he's just, he's a guy that they're going to throw to no matter what, uh, when they get in the red zone, he is there. He's the guy that they're going to look at. Uh, Pittsburgh did have success with Vance McDonald against Jacksonville last week that it's a little different because Vance McDonald, that he, they're running a, a lot of kind of dump offs to Vance. That's not what Gronk does, but just because of his size and ability, I, I like taking the risk here. He's priced up. He's going to be really high owned. Uh, but one of the things I do every week is just kind of go to the four for four uh, lineup builder and just click optimal lineup just to see what roster construction looks like from a value perspective. And, and we have Gronk in both of our optimal lineups right now. I, I think that uh, he probably has the highest touchdown equity of any pass catcher on this entire slate. And like I said, I just like uh, on a two game slate stacking as many Patriots as possible. I'm, I'm fine with maxing out my uh, number of players per team on this slate, really just because Patriots are, are kind of head and shoulders above the field. Yeah, I like that. Cause I think there's only, you know, there's only four teams. So uh, we just talked off air about, you know, I was saying how I kind of just built lineups with all four quarterbacks. And that's usually mm-hmm. something I'll do on these small slates. Uh, any small slate is I kind of build a lineup with each quarterback and say, okay, you know, what has to happen for this quarterback to be the quarterback you need? And then I kind of go off that, whether it's, you know, stacking him and then stacking with the opposing team or fading certain guys. So I, I definitely can see the merit in that for, for pretty much any team, but especially the Patriots, given that even though they're facing this vaunted Jaguars defense, they do have the, they do carry the highest implied total on the slate. And I think unlike, and and it's funny because we kind of foreshadowed this, I think a little bit last week, just talking about Pittsburgh. Like if there's a one team where, you know, you feel like they could have a meltdown or they might not be coached as well. It's, it's the, it's the Steelers. And now Mm -hmm. against the Patriots, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's that coaching mismatch anymore. I think Doug Marone and and, the, and what the and what the Jaguar staff has done this year, uh, Tom Coughlin, I'm sure has a a hand in it, is probably going a little underrated at this point. I think 
Jacksonville has been very competently coached all year. I mean, for them to come out and, you know, fig, you know, say, okay, we got to hide Bortles. That's our plan. And then they kind of developed him to the point where, I mean, he's not, he's, he's terrible sometimes, but he's competent other times. And, um, I think they are a good coaching staff, but I, still, I think you expect Belichick to have an answer for this defense. Um, had the buy to prepare, probably figured that this could be, that this could be a potential matchup. I'm sure you had something brewing there. So, I do think it's an interesting. I guess we, you know, we only have four games, so we should probably look at okay, what's you know, what are the kind of the downsides to to each of these teams? So I, for the Patriots, it's pretty obvious. I mean, Tom Brady, if you're going to beat him, you need to get pressure on him, especially inside pressure. The Jaguars can get pressure front with that front four with Calais Campbell and Malik Jackson and those guys. So I think that's the one risk here is that well, there are two risks with the Patriots. One with Brady is that you know, there's just a lot of pressure. And I mean, as much as you scheme up and even as much as you try to throw the ball quick to running backs, if they're able to come up and make some tackles and get them into third and long, it could be still a problem for Tom Brady. And we've seen this before. We've seen this, I think, uh, a few years ago where they, they blew out, I believe it was Houston in the divisional round, like 41-28, and they come home to face Baltimore mm-hmm. uh, and they lose 28-13. So, uh, you know, we've we we've seen the Patriots kind of come out flat and struggle against some better defenses before, so that that is the danger. How are you feeling about Brady at quarterback? Because I know you mentioned the optimal lineups, and I do believe that Brady is not in either of them, or at least I know I think Bortles was in the DraftKings one. I want to say. So, how do you feel about Brady as a, as the you know just his value this week with the salary? Yeah, I mean he he's obviously doesn't stand out as necessarily a, a value because he is expensive, but. Uh, if Bortles isn't Bortles isn't my favorite quarterback, but I do like the way that Bortles makes lineups work a little bit more than Brady, especially because you do get that correlation play. So uh, curiously enough, if I am going to do a, a full Patriot stack and leave one of the main players out, I actually like leaving Brady out over maybe like a two running backs and Gronk. Um, and it's just hard to, to make him work with some of our favorite plays. But uh, obviously from a pure projection standpoint, he is the top play on the slate and I think in those spots where you you want to save uh, money and not not play Gronk maybe Cooks uh, I think the the savvy thing to do is to uh, kind of leverage that and have Brady in your lineups but uh, from from a value perspective I actually like Bortles on the other side a little bit more just because I I think you can uh, you can build a really nice roster with all the Patriots and, and save some money uh, at quarterback there. Yeah, it, roster construction just becomes a lot more fun when you don't include Tom Brady. Now, I think for Tom Brady not to be the top quarterback, you're probably looking at either, you know, like we mentioned, the Jaguars getting a lot of pressure, kind of stymieing the Pats offense or the Patriots running back scoring a lot of rushing touchdowns or, or scoring whatever touchdowns they do score on the ground and, and, and keeping Brady at a zero touchdowns. And then he just kind of sinks back into the pack with all of the, other quarterbacks, which I think is certainly possible. I don't think Brady is a, a must play or anything like that. I actually like Lewis at running back over Brady as well, mm-hmm. but I do think Brady is the top quarterback play. Uh, I think if you're playing Brady, you're almost kind of forced to, but I think it's probably a good idea anyway is to, uh, is to, is to potentially, you either want uh, some Jaguar or like a Jaguar receiver in there to kind of get a game stat going. Maybe it's a little higher scoring than we expect. Or I think if you play Brady, maybe you go the other way with Leonard Fournette and you say, okay, maybe the Jaguars actually do have some success on offense in this game. And Brady's forced to throw a little more than maybe the Patriots would have wanted to. So I think those are kind of the two angles 
that you would attack if you're rostering Tom Brady. But I wouldn't be hesitant to stack Tom Brady with one or even two of his running backs because uh, I think there's a good chance that if, if Brady's going to pile up a lot of stats and a lot of production, that it's again, it's you know, we've we've as far as we could tell, we've looked at a lot of these matchups this year, and Bill Belichick has been kind of attacking opposing defenses where the weaknesses lie on paper as well you know as well as i'm sure on on film and and whatnot so we're 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 expecting the new england patriots to use their running backs heavily and you know that that could work for brady if if he's completing a lot of touchdowns to him or it could backfire and you just have to have the running backs if uh if they end up scoring touchdowns on the ground you have Deion Lewis in this game, who's also the Patriots' primary kick returner. So don't forget that because you can stack Lewis with the Patriots' defense against the Jaguars. And if he gets a kickoff return touchdown, you're in business with that double six point. So that is also something to keep in mind on the Jaguar side of the ball. I'm looking at, I don't know how you feel about this, TJ, but, you know, we kind of talked about this on the pod. I think I alluded to it. I thought that it was going to kind of be some recency bias with Derek, both Derek Henry and Leonard Fournette last week, where I think, you know, because Henry had the big game the week before and Fournette didn't. And I I thought that, uh, you know, people would kind of be a little bit down on Fournette and I thought he was in a good spot. And now I'm kind of feeling like this week, now after the three touchdowns, I know he had the little ankle scare, but I feel like. You know, with limited options, people are going to kind of be back on him, especially if you don't want to figure out exactly what's going to go down with these timeshares in New England and in Philly and in Minnesota. So, uh, but I don't, I don't know. I'm thinking that this could be kind of a similar situation to, to what Henry went through last week, where the Patriots can kind of force the Jaguars to to kind of use their wide receivers on the outside, and they can kind of stack the box and play the run and kind of limit Fournette to a, a game where maybe he doesn't reach the end zone or even put up a, a huge yardage total. And that could kind of kill a lot of people because he's pretty much the, the other expensive play outside of these Patriots. And I guess Adam Thielen. So what are your thoughts on Leonard Fournette going on the road to Foxborough this week? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of uh, the same thought process as you on this one. I mean, Leonard Fournette does project as, as our top value overall on both sites, but uh, that that's mainly because uh, we're looking at, at a medium projection and guaranteed workload. He's the only running back that we can uh, almost lock in 20 touches for, at least 21 touches in, in four straight games. But on these short slates, I think a lot of times you have to throw out some of those uh, classic indicators that we look at throughout the season. I mean, yes, he is going to get a big workload, but uh, we've talked about it both about the Patriots and just DFS in general. What's a spot where a team is going to make an offense play left-handed? I think this is the most obvious spot. Uh, New England, they, I think there's a couple options. I was listening to uh, uh, Eaton podcast with, with uh, Ross Tucker and Evan Silva, and they were talking about uh, Evan was talking about maybe the the Patriots playing uh, some some zone uh, against the uh, Jaguars to kind of keep a Blake Bortles in front of them, but then Ross said that probably what's more likely to happen is. Uh, New England uh, plays man with a spy on Bortles and really stacks the box to take away Fournette because, I mean, even if you give up some rushing yardage to Bortles, uh, the, those 60, 70 yards probably aren't going to kill you, but uh, 
taking away Fournette can really handicap this offense. And and like you said, what we saw last week against uh, the Titans, I I think that's a lot of what we see from the Patriots this uh, this week, and they've been better against running backs down the stretch if we i mean efficiency metrics can be a little bit flimsy for running backs but they've been above average in in yards per touch and fantasy points per touch around uh allowed over the past month ever since that Kenyon drake game they, they've actually uh been been quite good in terms of uh efficiency allowed to running backs. so i think this is a, this is definitely a spot where patriots are going to zero in on fournette and fournette and i don't think they'll have a lot of trouble taking him away yeah, for for all you guys out there that hear all these fancy terms like DVOA and and whatnot, essentially what that what that's measuring is uh, you know the success of an offensive play, and one of the the things about that, one of the key points with that is that a passing play is just more efficient than a running play. So I think you hit the nail on the head, TJ, when you said. You know, the Patriots have given up some numbers to running backs at times, but they've been better down the stretch and essentially better when they have to be better. And I think that just goes into Bill Belichick saying, you know, we'll give you the run. You know, we'll give certain teams the run. It's the less efficient play. Like, we're not mad if teams run on us. But in a situation like this where you have Leonard Fournette, who's kind of the driving force behind that offense, and then you have Blake Bortles at quarterback, I think this is a situation where I kind of agree with Ross Tucker here too. I think, you know, it kind of, you know, if anyone's played Madden, you probably know this too. If, it, if you're going against a team with a strong mm-hmm. running game and, and you have a good defense, you have good cornerbacks and, or which the Patriots do with, uh, Malcolm Butler and Stephon Gilmore. I know Butler gives up plays from time to time, but I would say still two above average cornerbacks on the outside that can play man coverage. I think you just kind of put those guys in man coverage and you you live with a, a play here and there because you don't really respect the Jaguars' ability to drive the length of the field and Blake Bortles' ability to drive the length of the field without a running game. So I do expect the Patriots to play, to continue playing man and to stack the box. And I think that, 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 that spy on Bortles is definitely a, a possibility and something that makes a lot of sense. So Leonard Fournette, you know, if it's not him and the Jaguars are playing left handed, what are your thoughts about their matchups in the passing game, TJ? We had DD Westbrook lead the team in wide receiver snap rate for the second straight week. I believe he was uh, right up there tied with Marquise Lee the week before, but this last week against Pittsburgh, 69% for Westbrook, 64% for Lee. And then you had Keelan Cole down there at 38% and Alan Hearns at 28%. Both of those guys are more slot receivers, although Cole did catch the deep ball Mercedes Lewis also out there 87 percent of the time and the uh, Koyak and O'Shaughnessy 39 and 28 percent so the Jaguars kind of used a little bit more heavy personnel last week what do you think about their passing game matchups against New England yeah, I mean, ever since they they got their full uh, receiving quarterback with with Lee and Hearns, it's it's really been a, a four man rotation. It's it's kind of a curious situation if you look on on DraftKings, where if I'm going to be rostering the, these guys, I'm I'm more inclined to do it on DraftKings because uh, we're not as interested in that touchdown equity. You can kind of make up the the garbage time or, or get the team that's trailing uh, with some PPR value. We have. Uh, 
three uh, of our top four wide receiver values are actually Jacksonville wide receivers. There isn't Jacksonville wide receiver priced above $4,500. But uh, as you mentioned, since the, the playoffs started, Marquise Lee and D.D. Westbrook have kind of separated themselves from the field. I mean, I, I think at this point of the season, uh, you just have to put a, a little bit more weight on what's been happening in the playoffs because obviously this is where teams are, are obviously going all out, exploiting their best matchups. And uh, we've seen Keelan Cole and Alan Hearns kind of fall by the wayside. Uh, both of those players uh, haven't exceeded two targets uh, in either of the two playoff games. Now, Marquise Lee and, and D.D. Westbrook are going to be uh, much higher owned than their, their receiver counterparts, but uh, Westbrook's accounted for 24% of Jacksonville's targets in the playoffs. And then we see uh, Lee get targeted six times last week for a 24% market share. So I think if you're going to target e any of the Jacksonville wide receivers, you want it to be Lee or Westbrook. You mentioned the the, uh, the slot receivers, Hearns and Cole. Hearns has a, a little higher snap share. So I think if I am going to throw a dart uh, against a, a Jacksonville wide receiver going against uh, New England in the slot, it's probably Hearns just because of that snap share, but uh, you're really playing with fire with Hearns and Cole at this point just because they're they're not seeing much usage right now. Yeah, well, it was actually Cole. Cole had the higher snap rate. Um, right, right. I'm sorry, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, if the Patriots live up to that 27-point implied total, which I don't know if they necessarily will. I mean, I could, you know, I know everyone's kind of thinking about the Patriots stomping the Titans last week and the Jaguars getting into this 87-point uh, showdown shootout essentially with the Steelers, but I think you could see a low scoring game in this one. But I think you have to think about all four of these Jaguar receivers just because it is a small sway. And even, especially on DraftKings where you're getting the full PPR, I mean, something like, let's say three catches for 50 yards. If you're getting that from somebody under 4K, that just might be enough. There might just be a not a lot of scoring. Remember, we have. Uh, Four pretty good, you know, three very good defenses, I would say. And then the Patriots defense has been uh, good down the stretch after that hiccup over the first five, six weeks of the season. So there, it could definitely be a week when you see a lot of empty box scores for a lot of these players on the slate. And uh, any one of these Jaguar receivers, I think there's merit to to rostering them. You already mentioned we kind of that that best bet for volume Westbrook kind of the, the best all around guy leading the team in snaps, probably a little better bet for some targets down the field has a greater target depth than Marquis Lee. But then, you know, as you mentioned, Cole and, and Hearns, they have the best matchup, you know, against new England in the slot, you have Eric Rowe and Jonathan Jones. And those two guys, uh, they are graded by PFF, not nearly as well as Butler and Gilmore on the outside. So that would be a matchup. Now, New England does play a lot of man, or we, we expect them to in this game, so it could come into play. But um, I think you have to consider him. I mean, Holt, Cole got a 45-yard deep pass last week, so there's really no rhyme or reason, I, I don't think, to exactly how Jacksonville is using these guys other than they, they view Lee and Westbrook as their clear top guys. But on such a short slate, there's merit to playing any of them. Hearns Cole, best matchup, Lee, Westbrook, best bets for volume. You still have Mercedes Lewis, again, playing a lot of snaps. But in a, in a situation where if New England's likely to come up all in the box, and I, I don't know if necessarily Lewis is going to be a big factor in this game. I think he'll be 
a bigger factor blocking if we've seen the other tight ends on Jacksonville, particularly Koyak lately. And O'Shaughnessy is also a, a pass catcher might see one of those guys get a reception or two. So now it just depends on, you know, is it a touchdown or is it, is it a long reception or something like that? Because again, on, on DraftKings, especially where you have that flex spot and you could get like a minimum price tight end in there and, and kind of get some differentiated roster construction that does come into play. So you have those two guys there. Uh, how you feeling about the Jags defense in this game? I know the Patriots defense is kind of, you know, that they're one of the chalk plays. They're the favorite, but, uh, how, how you feeling about the Jags defense going against Tom Brady? Like at what, at like what level of a good contrarian play are they? You think they're a smart one or a dumb one or what? No, I, I think they're, they're actually a, a good contrarian play, if you, especially if you're playing one of these really big tournaments. If you're playing the Sunday million or if you're playing the, uh, the quarter millionaire. The, the reason being is what you mentioned. Um, I was actually uh, really surprised that you mentioned that Baltimore game a, a few years back against the Patriots. One of, we're, we're looking for possible range of outcomes, right? And I, I think there, uh, there's definitely a, a greater than 0% chance that, uh, Jacksonville does come out that New England, uh, gets exposed from that interior pass rush. That's where we've seen Brady really struggle the most. And, and I, I believe that game started with, with a turnover that turned into a touchdown or a, a defensive touchdown. And if that happens for the Jaguars early in the game, if they get pressure in Brady's face, uh, get a turnover or two and, and New England is forced into some of those uh, three wide receiver sets that Warren Sharp pointed out Jacksonville is really good against. We could see a spot where uh, even if Jacksonville loses, it ends up being like a, a, a 20 to 14 loss. And, and if they get that, if they get one pick six with that pressure, um, I mean, that could be the difference. So I actually think that there's a lot of merit to looking at that possible range of outcomes in terms of how the game goes and, and in some spots, uh, not really loading up on the Patriots and in those, in those lineups that you decide to do that. I think Jacksonville's probably a, a pretty good bet because even though Minnesota and Philadelphia are, uh, really good real defenses, I think that game's probably going to play out a little more conservatively. Yeah, I like the Jaguars' D uh, contrarian play here. I like it stacked with Fournette. I think that, as you mentioned, there could be a situation where the Jaguars don't even win the game, and yet they end up being the the defense that you need if they score a touchdown and no other defense really puts up a ton of points. We mentioned the Vikings' defense many times on this podcast. They're such a good defense they led the league in fewest points allowed this season, but it hasn't translated into fantasy because they just play really sound defense. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. out here forcing a lot of turnovers or even getting a ton of pressure. So if the Vikings defense kind of has one of those average games and the Eagles defense as well, then you're looking at a situation where you open that up for the Jaguars who you know have a, a pretty attractive price tag and allow you to have a little bit different roster construction. So I like the Jags D pretty much no matter who you're playing, but especially stacked with Fournette. And then you have to start thinking about, okay, well, maybe now you want to get some Gronk in there, especially, or uh, maybe even go contrarian with somebody like Brandon Cooks or or just have some of those pass catching running backs for the Patriots in there. But just kind of try to imagine uh, a different game script because if we've learned anything this playoffs as we do every single season in the NFL is that you never know exactly how these things are going to play out. The the teams that we think are favorites won't always win. And um, so you, you, on a four-game slate, uh, two-game two slate, excuse me, with only four teams, 
you have to definitely consider all four defenses because sometimes it's that one defense that either leads you to a different roster construction or just outscores the others by a substantial margin. And I could definitely see Jacksonville kind of kind of going in there and, and making some things happen on defense. Tom Brady has been picked in uh, five five straight games before the before the last two. He was picked in five straight games, so not impossible to get to get some pressure to force Tom into a turnover or something like that. So. Jaguars defense definitely in play on the slate. Let's go to the second game. That's the NFC championship game. The Vikings at the Eagles. The Vikings are currently three point favorites with an over under of 38 and a half. So that's about a, a 20 to 17, 21, 18 type implied score. And we'll start with the Vikings offense. TJ, how do you feel? about these two wide receivers going up against Philly. This is the one position where Philly's not ranked in the top five in terms of uh, schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. Yeah, actually the only other spot where we have a defense uh, ranked outside the the top 20 in adjusted uh, fantasy points allowed is is the Eagles versus wide receivers. They're ranked 21st. Uh, this is the, the one spot that I was most wrong on last week uh, was Adam Thielen, and that, that's because I thought that uh, he was going to be able to take advantage of, of playing in the slot, but uh, Vikings did something really interesting, moved him to the outside last week. Actually, his uh, highest snap share on the outside last week and what uh, the reason they did that is because they basically stopped rotating Jarius Wright and Laquan Treadwell. That Jarius Wright had a, a huge snap share, and it looks like uh, going into this week he's going to be the slot guy. So, so we could get to that shortly. But as far as uh, Thielen and, and Diggs, Diggs has seen a twenty five percent target share in these playoffs. Obviously, he caught that uh, big game winning touchdown last last week. Uh, but really, he's he's kind of out targeted uh, Thielen. Not even just in these playoffs, he had a couple games down the stretch where he out-targeted Thielen. Uh, one of the best uh, matchups in terms of what side they line up on the most against Jalen Mills. Uh, so Diggs grades out as a really good value on 4-4, four for four, and I actually uh, agree with that, that I do like Diggs against, uh, against the Eagles, but I think that uh, rostering any of these wide receivers against the Eagles is, is probably a really good play, especially because so many people are going to be stacking the Patriots game. If you're going to go uh, contrarian and look for a spot to uh, kind of stack a, a different game, or like we talked about, maybe go with uh, lineups where you think the game script's going to go off course in that New England game, uh, going after this Philadelphia secondary. And, and Jarius Wright is kind of my my key to unlocking the slate. He had six targets last week, and, and on these short slates, who's that cheap player that's going to have a big game? I, I think Jarius Wright uh, could be the man in the slot this week to do that. Blake Bortles is one game from the Super Bowl, and Jarius Wright is the key. <laughs> Here we are in week 20 NFL DFS, but those are all great points. Jarius Wright, definitely the key to note there, played more snaps than Laquan Treadwell and Michael Floyd. Those guys were at 15% and 5% last week for the uh for the for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that Thielen is a really interesting play, especially because I, I think Diggs will get a little more ownership because he's a little bit cheaper and he is coming off, obviously, the big touchdown last week. So people are probably going to see Thielen and say, you know, he hasn't really been worth the salary 
as of late. But if you look at this guy, I mean, he's still producing, you know, even last week, he said you were wrong about it, but I mean, he still caught six balls for 74 yards. That's a really mm-hmm. good stat line. It's just when you don't score the touchdown at that salary, you're not really going to pay off. But I really do like Theo, and I, it's it's really hard to separate the two at this point. They both get a, a good amount of of targets, and they're both extremely talented, and they both have a good matchup. I'm sure they'll they'll move around a bit. So I like both of those guys. I do think uh, Thielen might go a little bit under own. So especially in some of these larger tournaments, I'd target him and try to create rosters with him. And it's not as easy uh, given his salary, but I do think it it's uh, it's worth it and. Kyle Rudolph still there. Probably, I would say, the second best tight end on the slate um, just for his touchdown equity. Vikings, again, are favorites, expected to score a little bit more than the Philadelphia Eagles. So Rudolph and Zach Ertz were neck and neck during the regular season in terms of red zone usage. But just because the Vikings are in a better spot in terms of being expected to score a little bit more, I think you look at Rudolph as that guy over Ertz and, you know, he could kind of walk into a, a short touchdown or maybe, you know, if, if Minnesota's having a lot of success, even get two touchdowns. What do you think of these running backs, Murray versus McKinnon in this game? Minnesota is a favorite, which tends to, you know, it would favor Murray, who's more of that, that goal line back, doesn't get as much work in the passing game. But the Eagles actually had more success on some of those inside runs last week with Devontae Freeman than they did when Tevin Coleman was getting to the edge. So from that standpoint, it would seem that stylistically it would benefit McKinnon. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing to suggest that uh, the, the the Eagles are going to give up a, a ton of uh, passing yards to running backs, which I think where people are first going to look. But really, McKinnon hasn't had much of a target share in this offense, which people expect anyway. So I'm kind of on the point that, that you made. Uh, stylistically, it looks like McKinnon could be the play here. I'm, I'm a little worried about um, uh, both of these running backs because all of a sudden last week, even though Minnesota has been one of the most uh, pass heavy, uh, I'm sorry, run heavy teams overall and uh, near the red zone, all of a sudden we kind of saw some inflated pass totals last week. We saw uh, four players with more than six targets, uh, three with more than eight. Uh, but probably I'm, I'm still kind of looking uh, for that touchdown equity and, and uh, Latavius Murray does get so many touches inside the, the 10 and the five yard line that especially on FanDuel, um, I, I think he's fine at his price. Uh, but overall, I mean, McKinnon, we saw him steal a touchdown last week. Uh, he's, he's still going to be a little more, have a little more big play ability, which kind of has more weight on the short slate. So I, I'm, I'm having a really tough time with this backfield in this game, just because I, I do like their pass catchers a lot, uh, the Vikings pass catchers, but, uh, I'm, I'm kind of right where you're at. Just that, that style that McKinnon has, he could break a few. And, and if, I mean, if he goes for one long run, that's, that could be game over on the entire slate. Yeah, I think, again, it's these small slates. You have to consider all the options. I kind of tend to favor McKinnon a little bit because mm-hmm. it's another situation where, you know, while I don't, I do think Minnesota deserves to be the favorite in this game, I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, this is a spot for a favorite running back, good game script. I mean, this is going to be, I think, a, a slugfest. It's going to be a real battle out there in Philadelphia. And this is Minnesota's first road playoff game so I don't necessarily think that the the most likely outcome is just them kind of controlling the game and getting ahead and being able to slam Murray in there and even if they 
are able to do that. I don't know necessarily if he's going to have as much success. So yeah, Murray's kind of just floating around there as one as one of many plays that you could you could throw out there. I think I like McKinnon a little bit more just for that receiving upside and that explosiveness. But Murray, I mean, it's, I give him his props. He has looked very good down a stretch this season. Probably looked even better than I remember him looking in Oakland over these past few years. Once he got healthy and got over that ankle injury, so. Um, you know, not someone to rule out, but I don't think it's the spot is as good as it was last week for Latavius Murray. On the other side of the ball, you have Nick Foles and this Eagles offense. Nick Foles had a pretty competent week last week after a slow start. Ended up going 23 of 30 for 246 yards. A lot of run pass options, defined throws, things of that nature. Now, going against this Viking defense that uh, allowed the fewest points in the league, TJ, where are you looking at is kind of the top matchup that the Eagles can, can attack against this Vikings defense. Man, I, I don't know if there's a, a top matchup per se. I think basically you just have to look at what this offense is doing, where the volume is going to be uh, over the last six weeks of the season. Philly was actually top four in pass rate and neutral game script throwing on 62% of uh, plays last week. They ran on 52% of the plays. Uh, that, that's a anything over 50% is really high. That game was basically a one score game the entire time. And I think they basically said, we saw what Nick Foles did down the stretch. We're going to be a run first team. We're going to pound JHI. That was against a Falcons team that's really good against running backs. So I don't think they're necessarily going to, uh, I mean, there isn't a weak spot on this Minnesota defense. So I think probably we see a lot of the same, uh, kind of slow it down, uh, give it to Ajay. Ajay is probably one of my favorite. I mean, he's not necessarily a, a true price pivot, but he is priced up uh he is priced up a little bit on FanDuel, um, on DraftKings. He's a lot more affordable, but because of that, I actually like playing him on FanDuel at 7,200. People are just going to be looking at Deion Lewis, uh, Leonard Fournette. Deion Lewis is only 500 more dollars. So probably I'm going to go with the volume there in terms of the pass catchers. Zach Ertz dominated, uh, target share with, uh, Foles in those two games. But then last week we saw four players with five targets. So, uh, they, they've really minimized the passing volume last week and on top of it, uh, spread it out really thin with Xavier Rhodes, probably on Alshon Jeffrey that, that really takes him out of, uh, my interest. So I think if, if you are going to go after a, a pass catcher, I think it still hurts because we did, uh, see that volume, but, uh, there, there's a lot of risk there, obviously. Yeah. I think, you know, in these tough situations, I like to just kind of go back and look at and, and kind of just close my eyes and think, you know, think back to, you know, how was I feeling watching the game? What were my eyes telling me? I thought mm-hmm. Jay Ajayi looked really good, really explosive, mm-hmm. had that early game fumble. But I think just from the way he's playing, I think Philadelphia is going to continue to feed him. I think they're going to feel like that's their best chance to control the game and hopefully make some plays on defense at home and be able to control the game, get some balls to him in the passing game as well, even though Minnesota has been, deadly at at stopping running backs in the passing game last week's Alvin Kamara uh, game notwithstanding but you know Ajay 15 carries last week five targets so that you know I think is a reasonable expectation I think I do like Ajay a little more than both Minnesota running backs LeGarrette Blunt nine carries no targets last week did get the goal line work but this is a situation where again they're back at home but I don't think it's as clear cut that they that they're, that they're going to even be in a lot of goal line situations as it even was last week. So uh, 
Blunt is hard to justify. I mean, he could always get a get a touchdown or maybe even two. So you can't another guy you can't discount him completely. But uh, you know, not looking good in terms of the most likely scenario for Blunt. And then how do you feel about Corey Clement? Because he's another player, especially on DraftKings where he's 3,100, got five catches last week, got a, a play in there at the goal line where I think they tried some type of trickery and he ended up fumbling or the, the snap was fumbled or whatnot, mm-hmm. but he was in there. So um, how are you feeling about Clement given the fact that the Vikings have been essentially lights out to running backs in the passing game all season long, except for really Kamara and the Saints? Yeah, I, I think that is um, – I heard a lot of people talking – not a lot of people. I've, I've heard a, a couple people talk about uh, playing TJ Yeldon in case Jacksonville gets behind. But, uh, I mean, Leonard Fournette is just as capable as Yeldon in the passing game. On the other side, Giant and Blunt aren't going to be a, a huge part of the passing game, which I did see, I think, five targets last week. But uh, I think if, if a running back does – end up uh, coming in in a game where a team's behind or getting some sneaky uh, goal line work. I, I think it is going to be Clement over Yeldon. So if people are looking to that RB2, uh, Clement's probably my play there. I mean, uh, I don't think that's going to be a, a really popular play on either side, but Yeldon's grain- gaining a little bit of traction in the industry, and that's just not a, a play I'm excited about. So just from a leverage and and roster construction standpoint. If I'm going to go uh, super cheap off the board running back, it's probably Clement for me. Yeah, that's that's about where I'm at. You know, I think overall I'm kind of favoring these Patriots running backs over all the other situations, and then kind of just trying to mix and match. Um, I thought Yeldon did look good, but he, you know, he's it's kind of tough to to project with Yeldon because he he got some extra work because Fournette was. Uh, he went to the locker room with an ankle injury, but in, in some of the previous weeks, he'd also been involved. He was inactive for the the Buffalo game in the playoffs because he had an illness, but uh, he did have some, some kind of spiked weeks, week 16 against San Francisco, five carries and a touchdown and seven catches for 64 yards. So there's certainly some, some upside there for Yeldon where maybe the, the Jaguars end up just using their running backs a ton as well, um, that that is that is one area where uh, you can attack New England if you don't want to go at these uh, at their cornerbacks. So I don't think Yeldon is the worst play, but you know, given the the price, you know, Clement probably will make a little bit more sense. And you know, in this passing game, I think Nelson Aguilar is another one you still want to target. I know he only had the three catches last week, which is a little bit disappointing, but he also had two carries and he just looked like a guy that they wanted to get the ball in his hands. And I think he'll be a guy that they can, they can put him in the slot and get a matchup against your, your guy, Terrence Newman out there, or they can, you know, Mackenzie Alexander perhaps is on the field sometimes in those situations. So I think you can get some matchups with Aguilar. I think again, it, the, it favors these interior pass catchers and these underneath pass catchers of the Eagles. But Another guy, you know, similar to Jarius Wright, you know, Wright got the six targets last week, the 56 yards, but you also have Torrey Smith here at minimum price on DraftKings. And he's another guy, I believe he's out of all of the, the, the minimum price running backs or wide receivers. Um, Smith is the guy that projects to play the most snaps. He's the guy that played the most snaps last week, 63%. So 
I do think he's in play. Alshon Jeffrey is more, he, he made some tough grabs last week, but it, he's going to sh- have trouble with Xavier Rhodes. But I mean, we did see Michael Thomas take advantage of some plays where Rhodes wasn't on him. And I think a, a play where Rhodes actually left the game briefly. So I, I, you can't rule out Jeffrey on a small slate like this either, but I, I think he's kind of probably third or fourth in that pecking order in terms of Eagles pass catchers you want to target. Cause you know, you have Ertz and Aguilar over the middle and then you have, uh, Smith just for that price and you know he did get four targets last week lucked out with that tip ball catch for I think it was 20 some odd yards but you know he might get some matchups against Trey Waynes might get some one-on-one coverage so you know he's a guy that that you have to consider and you know is Nick Foles kind of the the fourth best quarterback on the slate or yeah I I, I think by a, a pretty wide margin just because of of what I mentioned up top the Philly just look like they they are going to try to take the ball out of his hands as much as possible. Uh, I, I think probably you're better off, like you mentioned, uh, going after Aguilar or even uh, Torrey Smith's ceiling. Those guys can have a ceiling game without Foles uh, really really having a huge game himself just because uh, wide receiver scoring is obviously uh, way more dynamic than uh, than quarterback scoring. And, uh, I mean, on, on FanDuel, he doesn't even give you like a – he doesn't give you a, a huge salary relief um, compared to Blake Bortles, who's only five hundred dollars more. You could make the case on on DraftKings, I guess, because it's forty eight hundred. But again, he's only two hundred dollars cheaper cheaper than Bortles. So uh, the the biggest argument for a play like this is to to save money, but you're just you're not getting a huge discount compared uh, to Bortles. So it's just I, I I don't really know where the points would come from from Foles here. Yeah, uh, before the playoff game against Drew Brees, Minnesota had held every quarterback from week 13 on to under 180 yards Mm -hmm. passing, only gave up two 300-yard passing games this season in the regular season. So really tough matchup for Nick Foles. Uh, Vikings defense or the Patriots defense? I mean, like we like we talked about, I think that this game is just going to be a little more conservative, more low scoring. I don't think Philadelphia is going to do a lot to allow Minnesota to uh, get sacks or turnovers. I mean, maybe they they force a turnover or two, but uh, I think I like the Patriots more just because uh, fantasy scoring doesn't reflect uh, how good a real defense is necessarily. Yeah, I think it's. I think the Vikings are just a more a more risk reward defense. Mm-hmm. They, I think they have a better chance for a shutout in this game than than, than the Patriots do. Interestingly, um, I don't know if that's contrarian or not, but I, you know, just given the that they allowed the fewest points during the regular season, going against Nick Foles and this 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 Eagles offense, I think that there's there's this chance that they could get a shutout or hold them to like three or six points or something like that. Whereas I think the Patriots, you know, I think the Patriots Jaguars might be a little more high scoring. Now, both of these games could be low. So um, it's really tough. And then, you know, the Eagles defense, you can't even rule them out. I mean, just due to their price and they are at home and they have, they have been a defense that's created some, some, some fantasy point scoring opportunities for themselves. And, uh, you know, on this short slate, I think they, they're, they're certainly in play, just kind of in that no man's land. But, um, as a, a good defense playing at home and another defense to, uh, consider especially when you're trying to get some contrarian angles for tournaments but that about wraps it up i guess we'll do a uh, uh bowl calls um we only have two games so it's going to be tough to do that so i guess you got a player bowl call for me tj 
Uh, yeah, I kind of alluded to it. I think, uh, I think Jarius Wright's in the, the winning lineup for, for the Sunday million and the, the quarter millionaire. I'm going to say, uh, I'll say 17 DraftKings points for Jarius. Very interesting. I think it, you know, it's definitely possible Patrick Robinson in the slot for the Eagles has been having a good season, but yet they have given up numbers to, to slot receivers throughout the latter part of the season. So, Definitely someone to watch there. And, you're, you know, if he continues to play those snaps that he played last week, I think, you know, he has a good shot at, at being very valuable on the slate. I'm going to go with – I'm going to say – I'm going to go off the map. I'm going to say Dwayne Allen uh, scores – catches a touchdown for the Patriots, and you're going to need him hmm. in uh, your DraftKings flex spot to to win the quarter million. Um, I think Patriots go with some heavy formations. You know, Dwayne Allen has been in playoff games before with Andrew Luck. And uh, I think, you know, if, if anyone's going to kind of come out of nowhere and be a bigger part of the game plan than we think, it might be one of those kind of bigger guys on the Patriots on that heavy personnel. So uh, I'm looking for Dwayne Allen to, to catch like a three-yard touchdown. And uh, which, let's say, which, which game do you think has a bit better chance for an upset? Uh, Phillies at home. They have a good pass rush. We saw New Orleans get after, uh, Minnesota a little bit in Minnesota's home building. If, if Philadelphia could take advantage of a, a quarterback that's never been in the spot before, I mean, I feel like the football gods could, could, uh, prevent a team playing at home in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that's the kind of the wild card here. Case Keenum. It is his first uh, road playoff game. So definitely something to watch. I think the, uh, I think the Jaguars have a, a decent shot of upsetting the Patriots. I think they're the one team that they could kind of get New England into a, a lower scoring game. I think mm. they can get pressure on Tom Brady. And, you know, if, if you're kind of taking some of these factors, out of the New England offense, you know, maybe you can take away Brandon Cooks and some of those wide receivers. I think you make it a, a much more even, evenly matched game. So um, I, I do think Jacksonville has another chance at pulling off the upset this weekend. But that about the Tom Coughlin versus, uh, versus Belichick narrative is strong. Exactly. Yeah, man. It, now it kind of feels like, um, uh, reminds me a little bit with Blake Bortles of Eli Manning in 07 when he wasn't really respected at all as a quarterback. And, you know, he was kind of a running joke. I mean, he had a more draft pedigree, I guess, but um, really wasn't respected and, you know, kept kept winning games and then eventually, you know, won that Super Bowl. And now it's a whole different story. So I'm not saying Bortles is, is anywhere close to that, but just kind of reminds me of the similar situation in terms of how the public is is looking at them and, and looking at their chances. So excited to see that game and excited for this last slate of the season. Thank you guys for listening all year long to DFS MVP. We will be back probably next season, um, maybe in the off season, but definitely next season and breaking down all of these uh, games and plays for you guys. So thanks for, for tuning in all season long. We really uh, appreciate it. And uh, any last words before we get out of here, TJ? Yeah, just uh, final thanks to to all the listeners, to the industry for for the growing support. Uh, this podcast has has really grown over the last couple of years, and we get a ton of good feedback on it. Uh, happy to be a part of it. Happy to be your partner in crime, and and hopefully people uh, keep getting this money uh, in this last week. We got a lot of cool things in plan at four uh, in plans at four for four. So uh, keep stay tuned even in the off season. It's going to be a, a really cool uh, t- 2018 for us. 
Most definitely, you guys can follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez, and you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Let's get this money. Stop. Stop.